DJ Simulationistas. Sup? With Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin and let's roll. to DJ Simulationista Sep. This is Janice Palaganis. And this is Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice Palaganis. Sup, Dan. So I thought today it would be really cool to talk about our experience in Korea because we have often gone back to or started talking about that experience as we've been interacting with other people. And I think there's a lot to tell and talk about when it comes to what we learned over there. What do you think about that? Well, I love that trip, uh, and I thought it was just fascinating. And it certainly piqued my interest about uh, differences in culture and debriefing and simulation and, you know, opened up many more questions in my mind than answers, but uh, it's such an interesting topic to me. Sure. So let's go with what did you find the most interesting? The thing that I uh, really appreciated uh, was the humor and richness of the, um, you know, that that kind of average personality that we uh, that we saw there, and uh-huh. just the people were just so fun and full of life and optimistic, yeah. and uh, I just thought that was that was fascinating, um, and I thought it was especially fascinating in light of the times because the you know, conflicts with North Korea and the administration in the United States and the, you know, kind of name-calling and the, the uh, elevation of the uh, threat that we perceive sitting here in America um, didn't seem to affect the uh, Korean people that we were with. Um, at least not in the way that I feared or expected. Which is often, I think, a surprise for me when when we go to, let's say, the Middle East or places where they're highly um, covered in, in our, you know, in CNN and you're just kind of worried about it and you get there and, and people just aren't as worried about it as we are, those of us that are constantly glued to CNN. So I love that topic. Yeah, it it is a good lesson that, um, uh, you know, when people come to America, they're always surprised to find that it's quite peaceful and and beautiful and not, not a product of the media that they've experienced. And you know, all the movies they've seen and the violence that they hear about, um, it doesn't affect most of us most of the time. And I think that's true everywhere in the world. So I want to add to that list because I, um, one thing that I just 
took away from that experience was the language that, you know, when you've got um, differences in language, perhaps dealing with students who are, you know, English as a second language, um, what things are universal and what things aren't, and um, just our experience with uh, English as their second language. Sure. Um, so I, I think we ought to tell people what we were doing there. Um, okay. So we were invited, um, uh, I forget which one of us was invited first, to give a talk at the Korean Society for Simulation in Healthcare. Uh, they had a local conference, uh, which they do yearly, and uh, the Society for Simulation in Healthcare, the Korean uh, uh, version of that started quite a long time ago, and I interacted with them uh, when it first came about. And so it was kind of fun to see that it's come to fruition and is uh, was very well attended and uh, quite a dynamic um, and well-planned meeting. We, we were invited, uh, one of us was invited, and we suggested to them that we both give a talk that we've been giving together um, uh, that we that we use our DJ simulation uh, simulationista theme to uh, to work on, and uh, it's basically an interview between the two of us where we uh, magically can uh, see each other's frames, or at least the audience can see our frames. We can't see each other's frames, and uh, we try in that talk to. Um, stress the importance of um, getting to what people are thinking rather than what they're doing or saying to understand how to help them. So uh -huh. that's our that that's our talk we've been giving in various venues, and so we gave that uh, the Korean version of that in uh, in Seoul. It's always really fun. It's like it's the same tone as this podcast, only we really try to. Understand each other's perspective. Fortunately, uh, the, uh, the the and this is what I started with. The Koreans seem to have a terrific sense of humor, and so that they, uh -huh. they thought it was funny, uh, which was good because we intended it to have humor. <laughs> if they were laughing and we didn't put humor in it, that would be a problem. But they seem to laugh well, at the right times and not at the serious parts. Yeah. So, you know, we gave this talk about debriefing, and uh, uh, as most of our listeners know, uh, you know, our good judgment debriefing technique requires that you be very direct and honest about your observations, um, that you put your point of view in the debriefing, and that you look to the learner to expose their point of view that is what's going on in their head or what was going on in their head at the time they did the simulation. And so that formula has worked very well. It comes from a, a research group in the United States, and it works very well in our hands. And I know we've been uh, in many places in the world and uh, taught people advocacy inquiry and good judgment debriefing. And the question always comes up, well, does this apply to our culture? We're different mm -hmm. here. Does this apply? 
And so I've gotten that a question in, uh, in Hong Kong, in, in Spain, in uh, Australia, um, and certainly yeah, it pretty much apply. everywhere. Pretty we much go. everywhere. In fact, I get that we get that question in Alabama and Kansas and California yes. and oh, uh, when yeah, and even institutional cultures. So when we go to a specific site, everybody claims that they're from a completely different culture and there's something unique to it, and they want to know how it applies. And 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 so the. So the, you know, the question is, is that, is their question based on their struggling with getting the skills down of how to implement this, or is there really a cultural difference that makes it uh, ineffective? And, and so I'm wondering what you think about that. I have an opinion, but... Um, wondering what your observation has been. My typical response is it doesn't really matter what culture you're in. We all struggle with the same things. And I think the things that we struggle with that hold us back, as we talked about in our vulnerability um, podcast, the last one we did together, Dan, it we all struggle with that. It doesn't really matter what culture you're in or where you come from. I think in terms of cultural change and behavioral change, every culture struggles with that too. Like how do you create cultural change or how do you change your culture? And and so those to me are common threads and and you know what we teach in our course and getting to the core of human factors, to me that's it's it transcends whatever culture you're in because to me it's basic human values and ethics that hold us back i do though this is i think where we differ in opinion and and um i'll be interested to hear what your response is i do think maturity of businesses or maturity of cultures in terms of addressing human factors and being able to talk about it do differ between culture to culture so while the core elements or concepts that people need to face and discuss toward cultural change, while those resonate despite what culture you're in, I do believe it's almost like an orange, you know, the peel could be a little thicker in different cultures to get to that point. So um, so actually, uh, it, it turns out we're in violent agreement about that, and I'm, I, really? I, I'm wondering why you thought I would disagree with that. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, believe as you do that, um, you know, underneath the surface layer that people are very much the same and struggle with the same feelings and issues, um, uh, you know, as modified by many factors in their life. They're, you know, the ones you can't change like your own biology, but the, you know, the, the the experiences you've had and the culture you live in and all of those things but the the basic human uh human you know needs and skills and all that stuff is very much the same people do uh need feedback in order to improve they want feedback they're vulnerable about feedback exactly how the how that vulnerability expresses itself um, 
you know, has many variables, uh, culture being one of them, I suppose. Uh, but, but basically people, people as, as learners, healthcare workers as learners are, uh, are just n so much more the same than they are different. Uh, there is, though, that surface layer, uh, as you described, is the peel of an orange, and I've often described it that way, too, where their educational experiences uh, and their educational habits are, uh, can be quite different. And so the, the example that's most stunning is that when we first uh, did courses in Asia. Uh, we were told by people who had been in both cultures to watch out for the open-ended question, that when you ask an open-ended question in a classroom of uh, people in Hong Kong, for example, um, they consider it impolite. They consider it impolite to kind of put a question out there and expect that one of them will stand up and answer. And the reason that it's, that, that it's not polite is that it puts them in a position of, if they answer, their peers around them might see them as being, um, of making some sort of statement that they're smarter or better or unique. And in a collectivist society, uh, uh, like many of the Asian societies, that behavior is not so good. On the other hand, uh, when you cold call on someone, when you ask them a direct question by name, they consider that polite, and they either will have a great answer or will just say they don't have a great answer, and you move on to the next person. And that's totally the opposite the, of the American habit, uh, where open-ended questions are the desired ones, and if you call on someone, then you're sort of picking on them. And uh, and so it took us a while to uh, to to kind of change our habits as educators and do the cold call routine rather than the open-ended question routine. And once we right. did, it just changed everything. Everything went quite smoothly, and all of our, um, I, I, I've thought in all the different cultures we've taught in, by the end, the notion of getting at people's frames has resonated, and mm -hmm. being direct and being transparent has resonated as well. And the... And the same struggles occur in the course, no matter which country. And a particularly interesting to me is when we've run our cases, the same exact cases in different countries, and they're speaking their language during the case, and yet we can see the same struggles, whether it's the nonverbal language, the actions, like those things... It doesn't matter what culture you're in. They do the same things. It's amazing. It, it is funny to, uh, to, to think we can run that course, uh, run the, the IMS course where we, um, we, we have them do cases in their own language, and we can't understand a thing that's going on except by right. context and by watching them. 
and then they do a debriefing in English, and we see exactly the same kinds of uh, questions that they ask and topics that they choose, and they struggle with asking the questions in a very similar way. It's just fascinating. And, and it's sort of surprising to me the first time we did that, how I was able to uh, help with that, even though I couldn't understand what they were saying when they did the case. So that's the, you know, that's the third thing that I want to talk about, because in my experience in Korea, I, one of the most interesting things that happened was me going to that CrossFit class, which I told you about. Uh-huh. And it was completely in Korean, not at all in English. The instructor didn't speak English. The people in the class didn't speak English. And the movements are universal. The nonverbals. I got excellent coaching by this guy who spoke no English. And it made me really understand, A, the power of nonverbal language, and be the power of curiosity that and just having that you know it was just very authentic you could feel that he just really wanted to teach me mm-hmm. and was really working with me to figure out where my weaknesses were and um and you could just you, those are things that you could feel you know without take away you know if you mute this the scene or mute the movie, you could feel those things and and how important that is to get to your core of putting your learner as um, the center of, of the learning. And they can feel that. Uh, so you brought up the issue of language, and I uh, often wonder how much uh, uh, people who speak English as a second language uh, struggle with learning when I'm the teacher. Um, as you well know, I, uh, I don't speak any other languages and I struggle with English sometimes and failed French in high school. It's a sad thing in my life, but you know, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know since I don't speak another language how difficult it, it must be. It seems to me it must be incredibly difficult to try to learn in another language. And I guess it must depend on your experience. For me, um, trying so hard to be fluent in Spanish and having just taught in Chile in Spanish, I think the most difficult parts, you know, we try to, I think we make conversations very complicated when we throw in idioms and jokes. And that, to me, was the hardest part about um you know, listening to debriefings and trying to understand what they're saying. I, I couldn't understand the idioms or the jokes, which I can't in English anyway yeah. because my parents raised me um, with Filipino idioms. And so um, that was an interesting part in our talk, Dan, just going back to our talk, and the humor in that I think the things that we chose to focus our humor around, what we joked about, were common things that any culture could understand. And I'm so glad that we carefully chose those things um, because you don't need even the English portion of it to understand that. Right. Most of our humor came out in, uh, in photographs. Uh, and and right. they, they weren't related to the spoken word. They were 
<laughs> there were pictures of what was going on in our brain, and those were the things that they found funny. And th and I guess the, the the concepts are universal. It's the words that are uh, that are so difficult, and uh, using pictures really helped. I wonder I wonder well, so if that's you know that's that is really important when you're teaching people who's who who do speak a different language is to use as much uh you know visual as possible yeah and i i mean i think that's the power of simulation and debriefing is um you know the actions that you see in the simulation everybody can see and hopefully relate to or have seen it before and if you could and, and this is where i think the power of storytelling comes in and um, the power of nonverbal language is, you know, if you could convey a story with, and I think your nonverbals would just kind of pour out if you have a really strong story. Because I think we all speak different languages, but if you can illustrate that story as much as possible to the concept that you choose to talk about, it's, you just get people on the same, same wavelength and it just makes things more discussable and teachable. That's so true. And as you're speaking about it, I'm just thinking about how how is it possible that uh, that one can watch a scenario being conducted in another language and understand it surprisingly well. And I think it is because the the actions are so universal. And you don't have to know the words they're saying. Uh, you know, if, if somebody in a scenario is uh, reaching for an endotracheal tube and is saying something to the person next to them, you know that they're telling them that they think they should intubate this patient. And when they go to intubate and they start, you know, looking around and asking people something and you see there's no stylet in the endotracheal tube, you know that they're just asking everybody if they have a stylet yeah. or can get them a stylet. <laughs> and the exact words they're saying don't matter. You could debrief them, I suppose, not understanding a word they say. And, uh, mm -hmm. and actually, uh, uh, you know, I've certainly been in that situation in our course. And, and I think that's why Human Factors is so wonderful, especially in interprofessional education, because you can cross language barriers, you can cross cultural barriers with things that, you know, get to the core of, that's common in any culture. It doesn't matter which culture you're from. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I learned in Korea was um, that I really like Korean food. And I saw you <laughs> chowing down quite a bit as well, so I wonder what you think. It was so healthy. Like, there was no, just, and it's so delicious. And the fact that there were, like, seven courses, would you say seven courses? Yeah. Even more sometimes. Like, there was some, a list of, like, 24 on the menu. It, it, was, it was so <laughs> fun having the entire table filled with little plates. Um, yeah. Yeah. For for someone who overeats like me, it was just a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so careful about what I eat, and there was just everything was um, so natural, and 
you just know you're not going to feel bad at the end of eating it, even though there's 24 courses. It was food that your body knows what to do with. <laughs> so it's so spectacular that someone who's so careful with what they eat and someone else who's so careless with what they eat could both be satisfied by the uh, Korean uh, uh, menu. <laughs> it was definitely the best part. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Janice. Well, it was good talking to you and good reminiscing about uh, about Korea. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I think I think I want to I, I want to add that there is a lot of research on culture and education, and I yep. haven't studied yep. it. And you know, uh, just you know, kind of everything that I've uh, been saying about it. Uh, here and for a long time is just based on my own uh, gut reaction. I think it would be a really great topic uh, uh, for people to do more research about in simulation, um, in healthcare simulation and debriefing. And, debriefing. Yeah. and uh, that would be a huge contribution. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Janice. This has been DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dan Raymer and Janice Pelaganis. Thanks so much for listening. Check back next week for another episode. See you next time.